everyone, and welcome to episode three of season two of the Centennial Podcast. And today we have draft analyst Will Scouch with us today, and we're really happy to have him back. He joined us in the summer, and he's back again after the draft to talk with us about the Senators' prospects and just his general response into the, some of the picks that the Senators had uh, during the 2020 draft. So, of course, right off the top, we got a look at Timmy Stutzla. Uh, I think a lot of people were really excited to see the Senators take him. Uh, they were just kind of waiting to see if LA was going to take Byfield or Stutzla, and uh, the Senators get the German. So, uh, Will, thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, obviously there are many. Um, I, I think that at three, the way that I felt the draft was, was that there were three guys you could target, which was Marco Rossi, Lucas Raymond, and Tim Stutzla in that order. So, I mean, there is an argument to be made that Tim Stutzla was the third best player in the draft to me. I just think that there were other players that were, you know, they had other parts of their game that I think pushed them a little bit ahead of Stutzla for me. Um, but I think it's pretty undeniable that at the very least, you're looking at a very high octane offensive winger. I, I don't, I don't really have any concerns about his his overall projectability. Um, there might be some things he has to learn in the NHL, you know, in terms of processing the game at a high pace and confronting more difficult defense systems and, and more difficult defenders themselves. But I think with enough time, you know, he's, he's going to have no problem, I think, adjusting at least offensively. So I think for the Ottawa Senators, it gives them a nice sort of high octane offensive flair that I think in their, in their system right now, they kind of lack um, whether he's a center or a winger remains to be seen, I think, but definitely not a bad pick at, at three whatsoever. Yeah, and I think with the Senators, they really wanted to get that 1C. And I know Pierre Dorian, prior to the draft, said, uh, when asked about Tim Stutzla, said that there had been a lot of discussion amongst their scouts on whether they saw him as a winger or a center. And I think they want to try and mold him into a center. And Mm -hmm. I know that uh, other analysts... uh, or commentators on the sport, you know, like Pierre Maguire, uh, for all the memes that, you know, come of him. But he said that someone as skilled as Tim Stutzla should be able to play center just with how good they are, their offensive skill, their capability. And he's known to be a guy who's also responsible in the defensive end. He's a guy who hustles and makes an effort out there. And I think a lot of younger players uh, tend to lack that. Um, So I think that you could make the argument that it's possible for him to be molded into that one C, but I know it's still uh, up in the air over over whether he will be that center or a winger going forward. Which yeah, it, yeah. Sorry, finish. Sorry, I was just going to say which kind of will play into what we talk about when we get to pick number five. <clears throat> so with that argument, I mean, I don't, I don't really think that. You know, you you can certainly try, and I think he certainly has the talent profile to do it. The thing that kind of gives me pause, and this has really sort of been something that's kind of come up, even just tracking the 2021 class so far this year, is that, you know, one thing I'm sort of learning myself, because newsflash, I'm also still learning. Um, You know, a big thing I'm learning is, I know, right? (laughs) Who would have thought? But one thing I'm noticing is that, you know, it kind of is self-explanatory, but I find that a lot of centers that I track, they're not, they're not given the keys to sort of do whatever they want in the offensive zone a lot of the time. Um, and I think that that is why a lot of centers in my data, pure centers, might not show up in terms of the offensive generation. They might not show up as well. 
So when I look at Tim Stutzla, the reason I think it's more likely that you're going to maximize what his talent potential is as, a, is as a winger is mostly because I see what he's capable of when you just give him the puck along the boards in the offensive zone and just tell him to go to work. With centers, I mean, they have to be more defensively responsible. You know, maybe you can have a tactical system where the wingers can cover for the centers a little bit more often. But generally, wingers are the players where you're handing them the puck along the boards, entering the offensive blue line, and then they go and make a play one way or the other. I mean, with Tim Stutzla, I think he, you're right. He has the sort of defensive you know, brain power to at least chip in defensively and maybe be more of an offensive-leaning center. But to me, I mean... I look at him when he just gets let go and and is able to be free. And the fact that in the DEL this year, I don't remember a single time he was playing center. Um, The only time I saw him play center this year was at the World Juniors. And when you're playing on a line with Lucas Reichel and John Jason Paterka and your Tim Stutzler, like probably going to want to play him at center. And so, (laughs) you know, maybe that's the the argument there and, and it worked for him there for sure. But Again, playing center at the World Juniors and then jumping into the NHL immediately and being a center, that's not easy. I mean, it, there's there's a there's a sense of responsibility that I think he has, but in terms of it's about maximizing what he's capable of to me. And I think that as a winger, you're really gonna be able to forgive a lot of the uh processing things that come up with him once in a while that that kind of leave you scratching your head or, or wanting more out of him. But he's gonna be able to go out and try to cook a lot more when he's in the offensive zone as a winger at least in my experience so we'll see i'm sure it's possible that you could try him there but in terms of maximizing what his talent is i i I lean more in the direction that he'll end up a winger one way or the other yeah and i I think that's a very valid point and i think he's been uh talked about as being like a patrick kane-esque player um but on the score sheet it looks like stutzla is is more of like a, a playmaker I was kind of wondering your thoughts on that. Do you see him kind of translating that to the NHL and being more of a playmaker, kind of like a a backstrom? Not maybe necessarily the same um, skill-wise because we don't know what he'll pan out to be, but just do you see him as kind of being that player that is more of a pass-first player than a shoot-first player? Um, In my tracking work, that was a bit more of the the situation. Um, I, I think that there's potential for him to be a pretty good goal scorer. I mean, he has a great shot. Um, you know, I'm just looking at his shooting metrics now. His passing metrics were much further ahead uh, in terms of of generating offensive danger. So when I look at combining uh, the rate of dangerous pass attempts that a player makes and the rate of dangerous shot attempts a player takes, Stutzla, 65% of that comes from passing. So he does lean more in the direction of of trying to make a play, but he is capable of of getting into sort of dangerous areas of the ice at least in terms of maybe not the highest of high danger areas which he didn't do particularly often but you know that medium danger rate uh when i look at the you know percentage of all the shot attempts he took 70 percent were not low danger which is promising um so he's he's getting into certain areas where if you have a really high level shot you can score goals um but you're yeah like you said i think there's a bit more of a playmaker streak to him he's a really good playmaker off the boards um, really, really good puck distributor. From if he is attacking the middle of the ice, he can he can keep defenders on their heels, moving the puck out of the middle of the ice to maybe you know throw a curveball in a way. Um, there are things that I think that do lead me to believe that he'll be more of a playmaker at the end of the day. But again, if he's a center, 
I mean, he's going to be up the middle of the ice a lot more. He's going to be, you know, attacking a lot more. And I think that if they think he's going to be a center, maybe you see that playmaker streak kind of take a backseat to being more of a shooter, a scorer, and sort of maybe relying on his passing and transition more often. Okay, and well, that's good to know. So, Will, I know you you mentioned, uh, and it was mentioned before, uh, about his defensive ability. And in your time tracking uh, his games last year, was there any point, you know, uh, his defensive ability was like a question mark? Or is that something... Um, that is, you know, a solid enough part of his game that is, uh, you can build upon it to, you know, put that, that natural center together. I'd say it was fine. I mean, there are, there are areas where I think there are, you know, I mean, again, he's an offensive leaning winger, so you kind of have to know what you're expecting. So I think with him, like I'm looking at his data now, he wasn't super involved on defensive transitions from what I've seen, um, you know, across just the defensive blue line, which if you're a center, you're probably going to be very involved. He had the 80th most interactions along the defensive blue line, but at the offensive blue line, it was 40th most and that's offensive and defensive. So right. whether it was offensive or defense defensive, it, it doesn't really matter um, with him. I think, you know, the 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 thing that was promising to me was looking at the total number of defensive transitions he faced. He was shutting down control on sixty percent of them. So that's a good measure for a winger. Yeah. You know, you want to see a guy who's at least fifty fifty there to me, where you're not, you know, you're you're not unreliable in terms of preventing, you know, you're you're a reliable player in terms of prevent preventing control defensively. So he does that well. In the offensive direction, it's surprising, but the the number of transitions he involves him in, himself in there is also pretty low. Um, you know, so in terms of transition offense, he's not he's not as good as some of the other players that were eligible in this year's draft. But again, that's kind of also the role he is is playing, where it's more in the offensive zone, get the puck, make a play, score the points. You know, he's that sort of offensive guy, which I think is fine. Um, but again, if we're going to talk about him being a center. To me, based on the data that I'm looking at, it's going to be a pretty radical shift in terms of the, the the game that he's been playing, in terms of where he's involved on the ice, what he's doing, and and how effective he is in certain areas. Um, but again, he's he literally just got drafted, and I think that the, yeah. the Senators have a few years to work with. And again, the Senators have Senators have the benefit of maybe not having the highest expectations for their team, so it can take some time and work with him. And again, if you want him to be a center, go nuts. Uh, but I would not be surprised to, to see him end up on, on the wing. All right. Well, that's a great answer. Thanks. Well, uh, you spoke a little bit there about uh, Stutzel's defensive abilities and that gives us a good time to transition to the defender that the Suns took a number five, Jake Sanderson. Now we know that uh, from watching your videos and stuff that uh, there are other players. You probably think that the Suns could have, should have taken a five, but uh, let's hear what you have to say about Sanderson and uh, what do you think defensively he can bring to the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, I mean, I think Sanderson is a great sort of blank-ish slate to work with. I mean, I, I you know, again, you said it, he probably wouldn't have been my guy at, at five. I mean, I look at what the Ottawa Senators kind of have on their team already. I look at what the Ottawa Senators had on the board and look at what they took from that board. And I mean, I think there were better players available, but uh, what you're looking at is a really, really good sort of rock solid two-way defender. I I don't really think there's anything super negative you can say about Jake Sanderson's game. 
I think that the, the only real concern I would have was really when the puck was deep in his own end and, and sort of getting cycled around, you know, he's a big guy who wasn't really using his size super effectively or, or really clogging up those defensive plays when they were cycling around the boards very well, at least, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world, but you know, as a defenseman, that's something that a lot of young players do need to kind of learn. But with Sanderson, I mean, his, his best assets are when the puck is in, in natural flow. So offensive defensive, he's a great, just transition player. I mean, and that's kind of where his value is coming from. You know, I, I, I don't know if he's going to be anything more than a second pair guy, you know, but I think he's going to be a really effective defender when he's on the ice. I think, you know, you look at the, the data that I've tracked on him, you know, he's, he's involved in a ton of defensive transitions and he shuts down like something like 65% of them. Like he's really up near the top in terms of getting that job done. And then offensively, he maintains control on those offensive transitions extremely well. And that number got much better after, I'd say, December. It was like a light switch went off for him. And he was playing with a lot more confidence and a lot more swagger and a lot more power on his on his feet and just sort of keeping opponents on their heels because that's what he can do. So, you know, it's going to be really interesting. I think you could say, okay, let's make him into maybe uh, a competent defensive tra- or a competent transition player with and without the puck. Um, but maybe lean more on the defensive side of the game, maybe more of a shutdown guy, put a lot more weight on him and, and just sort of work with him in terms of being that kind of guy to offset a Thomas Shabbat or an Eric Brandstrom down the road. Or you can look at it and go, offense is fun. He can skate extremely well for someone his size and for his age. He's still very young. And, you know, we keep him kind of lean, make him a competent player when the puck is getting cycled around in his own end. But when the puck is on his stick, that's when he sort of grabs the TV cameras, right? Like that's when he kind of spreads his wings. Right. Um, you know, his his passing game I thought was very good. I wouldn't say it was, you know, exceptional, but it was very good. Um, you know, and people thinking about him versus Jamie Drysdale. I think Jamie Drysdale, you know, you could make the argument that Sanderson might be the guy ahead of Drysdale, but I wouldn't have made that argument. I think that there is a discussion there. Um but yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see where his career goes because I could very easily see him become more of a shutdown guy if that's what the Senators in North Dakota wants. But he has the the talent with his feet and with his puck control and with his puck distribution to to really sort of quarterback an offensive rush. And if that's what you want out of him, I mean, maybe he'll be able to do both. Uh, but but it'll be interesting to see where his career goes, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to touch on one thing that you mentioned, and you're not the first uh, first scout that we've heard say that Jake Sanderson, you know, hit a switch around the middle of this past season. And at that point, he really turned it up, particularly on the offensive side of things. Now, what I'm curious about is, you know, uh, this draft in particular, and I think a lot of drafts, you see teams, and certainly the Sens did, uh, value, you know, guys to turn it on in the back half of a season heading into the draft, you know, that, you know, that thing that teachers talk to us about growing up, you know, most recent, most consistent kind of thing being how you judge mm-hmm. a player. Uh, I was wondering, is that something that you take into account in your methodology at all? Do you say, do you allow for guys who, you know, turn it up as they go on in the season, looking at that development curve? Or do you look at things and say, I'm looking for consistency from the beginning to the end of a season and not, you know, in periods of it? Yeah, I I think it's, it's difficult. I don't think there's a right answer. I think that the way that I perceive it is there has to be sort of consistency within that change. 
So when we're looking at Jake Sanderson, I mean, I tracked a game in September and November. Both of those games, when you combine all of his offensive transitions, he maintained control on 55% of them, which for a defenseman, I would say is mediocre. Like that's, that's okay. But then in December, I tracked two games in December, two games in February and a game in March. And that number went all the way up to 81%. And it was rock solid every single game. Bang, 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 bang. And the next lowest, the next lowest total was 64%. And even then, like it's, you know, that's still good. And and the next lowest was 71. There was one game where he had nine controlled offensive transitions and zero uncontrolled ones. So those are things that that I think, you know, it's it's important to keep that in mind and say, okay, yes, the light switch went off, but how much did it change? And was it that change consistent? You know, was it just a couple of a month in the middle of the year where that light switch went off where the scout happened to be there? Or, you know, is it a consistent thing? I think what is a little troubling to me sometimes is inconsistency in general. You know, like a, a great example of that this year was Casper Simontoval. People were wondering why he slipped. And he's a guy where I think it depends on the game you go to. A scout could go to one game of his and see him play and think he was not worth drafting. But a scout might go the next day and see one of the most dynamic offensive players in, in the draft. And that was pretty much the trend in my data throughout the whole season. So... In that sense, I value that kind of thing. But in terms of flipping a switch, I mean, I think if you see that a little late in the year, it can be very attractive. But you really got to be sure that, like with Jake Sanderson, it was obvious. It was very, very clear. You know, he was attacking the middle of the ice tremendously well. You know, he was driving with a lot more speed than before. He was relying on himself more than trying to pass pucks around the ice because his passing is good. But, you know, he he was putting more responsibility on his own shoulders because he's capable of it. So I think that in his specific case, it makes sense. And I think you just need to dig into sort of the video and see how things have changed because it can't just be, Oh, the bounces are going his way. Um, You know, if it is, maybe that's just what it is, but I, I, it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer because I think that there's no real right answer, but it definitely factors in. You know, you can't expect the guy, how he plays in September, to be how he's playing in March, uh, especially if those results are particularly poor. But if that switch goes off, you really got to dig into exactly why those things have improved. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, obviously, each scout has their own methodology. And so I think it's hard to find like a, a response that's consistent across the board. Um, but yeah, that, that totally makes sense. When, when talking about Sanderson, I think the thing that makes sense from the center's perspective uh, over a pick like Jamie Drysdale is I think when you look at Jamie's, Jamie Drysdale, he's more of like that offensive defenseman, uh, mm-hmm. at least from you know a surface level look at the players. And I think when they have guys like Shabbat on the roster and Brandstrom, I think the Senators wanted a defenseman who could take a lot of pressure off those guys. Because I think you saw it this past season with Shabbat. They put him in every situation. And I think that was really difficult for him. And his offense kind of suffered for it. And not that that's necessarily bad to develop him as a complete defenseman. But I think that a guy like Shabbat he thrives in those offensive opportunities. So to have a guy like Sanderson be able to offset the defensive side of the game and also provide an offensive upside greatly benefits not only, you know, the the team, but Shabbat's game. And then that uh, in and of itself should give the Senators a better chance at winning games on a nightly basis. So I think it's kind of, I'm not going like a whole 200 IQ big brain Dorian move, but I think (laughs) when you look at it, like, 
it, it made sense to try and and go for that. If this is the defenseman and this is the best player available for the Senators at five, then go for it. Even if others would have maybe wanted the Senators to to swing for the fences on someone like Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti mm-hmm. at five. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll also say this. Like, it's really easy to play revisionist history and look at how the draft went and say, oh, the Senators could have gotten this player at this pick if they had just done this. But, you know, I, I look at what the Ottawa Senators had in the first round and go, you know, would you rather have Tim Stutzla, Jake Sanderson, and Ridley Gregg, or would you rather have, say, Tim Stutzla, a natural center in a Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti? And then on top of that, uh, at, say, the, the Ridley Gregg pick when you had a choice of William Valinder, Helga Grantz, um, even a Ryan O'Rourke. Ryan O'Rourke Wallander. might have been a, a, bit, a bit rich for me, <laughs> but again, like I was a huge William Wallander fan, and the difference between Wallander and Sanderson, I think you know, there's, there's issues with William Wallander, but I think that those issues will iron themselves out over time. And, I mean, if we're talking about a player who, in my view, is not only bigger than Jake Sanderson, but right up there in terms of skating ability um would you which would you rather have and i think that when people criticize the jake sanderson pick they look at the, how the draft panned out and go oh you know you could have got two real real high-end premier offensive talents that i think the ottawa senators still are kind of lacking whereas i think sanderson's going to be a good player like don't get me wrong um it's just a matter of again who's on the board and, and who's left i think Sanderson's going to be just fine. Um, but, you know, if if that is the case and that's what they want to go, where that direction they want to go is, is sort of offsetting Shabbat and and Brandstrom one day, I totally understand that that angle, especially when it's for him versus Drysdale. And I agree that having, you know, another sort of offensive-leaning defenseman in your, in your system might be a little bit much. Um, but again, I, I, I just, at that pick, I was pretty lo- I was pretty lean on the defensive group this year anyway. So defense at five for me was a bit much, even if it was Drysdale. Uh, so I guess time will tell. Uh, I think Sanderson's going to be perfectly fine. I think he's going to be a rock-solid, minutes-eating guy who's capable of playing both defensively and offensively, and I think he'll be a good hockey player. Uh, it's just, again, like whenever we talk about the draft, it's about who's on the board when you pick, and then did you maximize what you what you want out of the draft? and it's too early to say definitively, but we'll have to see. Yeah, and I I think uh, like a, the last point on the on the Jake Sanderson pick is being, you know, you look at how bare the cupboards are in terms of high octane off, offensive talent. Like you said, uh, you have a guy like Marco Rothi in your backyard who you can go watch his game every single night that he plays. Realistically. Um, and then you look at the defensive crop next year, and let's be let's be real here. Like we're not going to be world beaters. I mean, yes, we added Evgeny Dadanoff and Matt Murray, and our team got you know marginally better. Uh, we're still going to be in the bottom ten, in my opinion, and we're still going to have access to six or seven very good defensemen. So, I I think. And when you look at it, like when you really like come out of the microscope and and look at what's coming next year, it is a, a bit of a frustrating pick. But then you sort of, you know, oh, yeah, he, you know, his dad was an NHL player. 
uh, he's going to uh, the North Dakota uh, University. So obviously that's another uh like what are they called now the the und senators <laughs> like <Yeah>. i mean <laughs> yeah so obviously that there are way too many um factors that went into that pick i think but um i'm not completely complaining i think jake as you said jake sanderson is going to be a minute crunching defenseman and he's going to complement our offensive guys really well while still being that two-way guy but uh, with that said, um, I would like to, you know, talk about that, um, you know, uh, that that pesty piece of shit kind of player that Ridley <laughs> Greg is, uh, <laughs> and um, get sort of your thoughts on on that sort of pick um, at twenty eight. Yeah, I mean, again, not a guy I would have had in my <laughs> sights in the first round this year. Um, I mean, not to say that Jake Sanderson wasn't that guy, but I, I, you know, when I look at Ridley Gregg, I see a guy who works really, really hard on the ice. I mean, really gives me sort of that miniature version of of Brady Brady Kachuk's game kind of kind of player. I, I think he is that. I mean, it's very clear that the Ottawa Senators are looking for these rambunctious sort of, you know. SHIT disturbing whatever's <laughs> um you know that's what they're kind of looking for a lot of the time and again like I, I don't mean to circle right back to the Jake Sanderson pick but you know the if if it seems to me that the big thing why the why the Ottawa Senators would have skipped on a Marco Rossi right in their backyard is because they must not think that an NHL center can be 5 foot 9 and whether or not that's flawed thinking, I think remains to be seen. Personally, I don't subscribe to it. But you look yeah. at the size of the guys they drafted this year. I have it in front of me: five eleven, but that's Tim Stutzla. You can't, you can't <laughs> just write him off for his height. Six yeah, one yeah. for Sanderson, at least. He, I wouldn't be surprised if he was taller. Six two, yeah. six one, six four, six three, six four, six feet, six one. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> that's what they want. That's how they think the game should be played. And you know what? When it comes time for the playoffs and p- penalties go out the window. Absolutely, that probably is is right. But I'm a person who likes the rules and thinks the game is better when the rules are called. And maybe that's something <laughs> that changes over the next few years. But you know, Ridley Gregg isn't just that kind of guy either. I mean, he's got some skill. He does drive offense pretty well on his team. You know, he, you know, his defensive results weren't particularly spectacular. But you know, he is also a rambunctious guy who's going to work hard, and I think he's going to mm-hmm. earn the minutes that he gets. And you know, if you're at the 20, whatever it was, pick 20, I don't have it in front of me, but I anyway, think it was 28. 28. Yeah, 28. Yeah. Uh, so if you're at the 28th pick and you get a third line energy guy who can chip in offensively, that's a fine pick. You know, like you've ended up with something that in normal draft years might be the area where you start to see guys who never play in an NHL game. So it's not the end of the world. I don't think, I think he's a pretty low upside, but a relatively high floor kind of guy, especially with the way that he plays. I mean, but the the thing that kind of brought up some questions for me was again, who was left on the board and, you know, even a, a like Maverick Bork in an Ottawa senators uniform, there's your dynamic creative yep. offensive center right there. Uh, Ozzie Weisblatt went at 31 to the San Jose sharks who I had really high and, you know, really, really dynamic player. There is a player that I think could be a center down the road, you know, but both of these guys are not six foot two. Um, you know, they, <laughs> they, they had a crack at Helga Grants and William Valinder, who are two Swedish defensemen that I think, you know, I would take on my team over Ridley Gregg 
all day. But again, you're dealing with a guy who, if he's one-on-one against Helga Grantz or William Belinder, he's going to make their life as miserable as possible. And maybe by virtue of that, he can bust <laughs> through that defensive coverage. I mean, you know, he's not a bad hockey player. Um, just not a guy that I would have targeted in the first round. I think he's going to be a player of some kind, but in terms of who was on the board and who was worth swinging on and what the Ottawa senators, in my view, still kind of need, they just didn't just, just didn't get it a hundred percent. You know, it's, (laughs) it's, he's going to be fine again, just like Jake Sanderson is going to be fine. Uh, But yeah, just, yeah, more of the same, I guess. Yeah. I think moral of the story is, is, I mean, first round, generally, especially in a draft that you're calling the most important, uh, you know, historical moment for your franchise in the last 20 years, uh, you want to not go for fine. Um, with that said, I mean, uh, I, I've read something, and it could be totally wrong, that Ridley Gregg was on this unbelievable scoring tear at the end of the season. Um, as I said, I read it. It's anecdotal evidence in my head right now. Uh, could be totally wrong, but I think he does have that offensive upside uh, from you know the snippets I've been able to watch, uh, and hopefully he's actually you know able to uh, to put something together, especially next season. You know, it's it's going to be a big year for him to prove it, and hopefully he he does get a crack at the World Junior roster if uh, you know he he obviously gets better from COVID, you know, and, uh, and then comes into camp and, you know, blows the doors off of everybody. Yeah. I mean, I hope so too. I think he's going to be that rambunctious sort of bottom end, bottom end of your lineup kind of guy that, that everyone's gonna, gonna want to play for. Um, I'm just looking now at his game by game statistics and he did get better at scoring as the year went on. That is, that is a fact Uh, around. It looks like November, December, he sort of, hit another gear, but the difference is relatively small. Um, but again, he's going to be a, a player. He's going to be, a, I think he's going to be a player. And if you get a player in a late with a late first round pick, that can play for your team every year. And that's fine. You know, you've done yeah. better than most people. So, you know, it's important to keep in mind that in the NHL draft, like I think this year's draft was extremely deep uh, in terms of, the types of players that Ridley Gregg might end up being, which is just serviceable everyday guys. I think there's a lot of good bets you could make. Um, yeah. You know, so, and is he the best bet you could have made, especially considering who was on the board in my view? No, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the issues that say a Maverick Bork has don't really work themselves out and he sort of fizzles out and never really picks up his offensive game in Dallas. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me. And with Ridley Gregg, I would be, I would be more surprised if Ridley Gregg didn't turn out to be something in the NHL one day, just because of how right. hard he works and how much he puts in at both ends. You know, the results are, I think, a mixed bag. But at the end of the day, at 28, you know, sometimes you just want to get an energy guy, and that's what you end up with. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, moving on into uh, the second round, uh, we got a guy who, you know, literally, I remember being like, who? Uh, but I know you did a video on him and that's, uh, Robe Iarventi. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, give me your thoughts on, uh, on big Robbie. Big well, Robbie. I mean, yeah, if, if, if Robbie was the guy that won at 28, I would 
it would be very different, I think. I think he's a, it would be a bit of a reach there, especially considering, again, who was on the board. But Robbie Yarventy is a guy who, you know, what I've been telling people about him is he's going to he's one of these guys who's going to be as good as he wants to be. Like he mm-hmm. he has so much talent. Like there's there's skill, there's skating, there's there's size. Um, it just doesn't come out super often. And he's a guy that can shoot from anywhere and score the puck. You don't come across those super often. I think the, you know, he's a good transition player as well. I thought that was an underrated area of the game that I think people sort of over overlooked. Um, but again, for him, it's going to be a matter of putting in the work in all areas of the ice and not just sort of strictly being a, a support guy in the defensive zone, waiting for sort of a loose puck so he can sort of go off and do whatever he wants. I think, you know, and, and I think that once he figures that out, it'll turn a corner and it seems to already have, you know, helped him. He seems to have turned a bit of a corner already looking at how he's been playing in Finland this year in the top level where yeah. every time, every time I watched him play at the Finnish top level prior to this, all of the issues that he has just dominated the game whenever he was playing. It just, you know, when you take a player that that shows these kinds of work rate issues and put them against men who may have had those issues in the past and learned really quick that you got to put in work when you're on the ice in a pro league like that, you know, I think he has started to sort of turn a corner and put in that 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 oomph that you kind of need to sort of take control of a game, which if you're going to score points at the pro level, you're going to need to really be able to keep your opponent on their heels and and really sort of push back. and you know, it's starting to show. I mean, the scoring is coming in, in the Finnish Liga now. Um, you know, it was there in the second division last year, but the second division to me is just not the same level of hockey, really. Um, but it it's certainly the goal scoring was on display. And I was surprised, actually, to see him go to Ottawa at 33. But, I mean, he was a guy where some people didn't really think the whole world of him. Uh, but I was a person, he was ranked 37th for me. And, and I mean, Ridley Gregg was at 57. So, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> if you if you flip these if you flip these guys around in the order in which the Ottawa Senators took them, I guess it's not the end of the world. But again, you know, you look at where Ridley Gregg went, and it's like, would I want Maverick Bork teeing up Robbie Yarventy with Brady Kachuk standing in front of the net if I'm the Ottawa Senators? Maybe like oh, that yeah. might be kind of nice, <laughs> you know. But instead, it's going to be sort of Ridley Gregg freeing up the puck for Robbie Yarventy to do his thing. But again, the big thing for me with the Ottawa Senators going into the draft is. Who's going to play center for this team? Is it going to be Logan Brown, Josh Norris, and Colin White for the next 10 years? I I don't know if that's good enough. I think those guys are all similarly skilled and, and potential players, but there's not they had the chance to really do some damage and, and make some big swings. And Robbie Yarventy's probably going to score points, I think. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, so so I was I was pretty happy with him with him going at 33. Now, I wanted to add something about Yarventi, and I don't want to be, uh, you know, a devil's advocate, but I do mm-hmm. want your opinion on whether he is the product of playing on a top team in Finland or whether he actually is quite a, a generator of the offense that he's put up. Because, I mean, he has seven goals and six assists in 15 games, and that's nothing to scoff at. But I wanted to know if if maybe that's that's something that you have some insight into. Well, I mean, he's he's just a catch and release shooting guy. I mean, you know, he he is. It's it's kind of interesting. I mean, he was a he was on my tracking list, fifteenth in total offensive transitions. So though, and I only track for the player the ones they're involved in. Um, although that that has changed for twenty twenty one, but this year or last season, 
you know, to, to see a guy who has this reputation about him as more of a scorer and just sort of catch and release shooter to have him top 15 and total offensive transitions. He's involved in offensively is, is surprising. And um, so, you know, there's definitely, I think signs that he's a player that can drive play at least in the offensive direction. Uh, and I think that when you look at his shooting, I mean, he just doesn't really shoot a whole lot from outside of medium or high danger areas. Definitely medium danger is where he sort of makes his money. You know, he can shoot and, and score from there. I mean, similar to a guy like Tim Stutzla. So, you know, he wasn't doing that extraordinarily often. I think he was 32nd per 60 minutes on my list that I tracked. But that's not bad considering he was playing in a pro league. I think I think it's legit. I think he I think he's the one who... You know, he might not be the guy driving the bus, but he's certainly not a passenger. I think he's, you know, certainly participating when it needs to happen, uh, at least offensively. So the big question for me is rounding out that involvement and sort of balancing his game because he's going to need to at some point rather than focusing a little bit too much on offense a little bit too often. But again, like when I'm looking at players, I go, okay, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the player? And then what's the talent profile? And with him, it's not like he's a bad skater. It's not like he's not, he, it's not like he's small. You know, it's not like he can't score points. You know, he's got all of these talents where it's like, okay, he has the mobility and he has the size and the reach and all of these things where he can chip in defensively more often than he is because it's coming out whenever the play is going in a direction where he's more comfortable, which is offensive. So we'll see what happens with him. I think if he's a guy where maybe he's a third line offensive guy and you put him on your power play, that's again, 33. That's a, that's a solid pick. You know, that's a good, it's not a steal, but that's good value. Um, so we'll see, we'll see, but I I'm, I'm confident about him. I think it, again, he's one of these guys where he'll be as good, I think, as he wants to be. Well, yeah, that's, that's what the Suns are looking for, right? We, we've been needing a scoring winger. And I think that at first when, when your was drafted, we were skeptical at least I know myself, I, I like uh, other Matt, I, I hadn't heard much about Yarventi at all. So uh, I've been happily surprised. And it's like the Shane Pinto pick from prior draft. Uh, I think that uh, Yarventi, you know, kind of proved everybody wrong. And, and that's what you like to see. Um, but moving on from that, after this, the centers had three second round picks left. They traded one to get Matt Murray. And with the other two, they selected Tyler Clevin and Igor Sokolov. And I know they traded up to get Clevin, and I know you weren't a, few, a huge fan of this pick, but <laughs> I'll let you kind of break down uh, the, the draftings of, of Clevin and, and Sokolov quick. Yeah, I mean, I watched quite a bit of the US NTDP last year. I didn't track as many games as I probably wanted to. Um, but, I mean, Tyler Clevin, uh, I, yeah, I, I think he's sort of a guy who... Either, either one of two things. One is the game is sort of moving past players like him, or he's going to be the type of defenseman that you could probably sign in free agency pretty cheap. I mean, we just saw Zach Bogosian, who obviously is not the same type of player as Tyler Clevin, at least at draft time. But, you know, the, the Leafs picked up Zach Bogosian to be a, make their back end a bit tougher. You know, like Luke Shen going to the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, like these are guys where you can just pick them up and see if they work in your lineup. And I, that's kind of my expectation for Tyler Clevin at the end of the day. Like, I don't really see that many offensive tools. His breakout game is almost a zero out of 10. Like there's, there's, there's physical strength. He's an imposing player for sure. But I mean, I find that 
the best counter to a player that's trying to physically impose on you is speed and skill and mobility. And I think that more and more teams are just loading their lineups with more and more players that just can just get by Tyler Clevin or create offensive cycles in the defensive end where Clevin's mobility or lack thereof really keeps him on his, on his heels and really just can't sort of counter that speed. Maybe that can come down the road, but again, when it comes to getting the puck on his own stick, his game isn't necessarily there. When it comes time for the offensive zone and play in that area, I don't really see much of anything happening. And trading the picks they traded to trade up and take Tyler Clevin, I, I, I would not be surprised. Like The thing that I keep telling people is take Tyler Clevin and put him in the Finnish Liga right now compared to the results that a Robbie or a, a Ronnie Hirvonen put up when the Leafs with who the who the Leafs took with that pick, or even a Topi Nimala, who also plays defense. Like I'm taking Topi Nimala literally every day of my life until I'm proven wrong and Tyler Clevin wins a Norris trophy. Like it's, <laughs> I'm I'm I mean I'm I I I look at Topi Nimala and say, yeah, he doesn't have quite the size, but there's skating ability, there's a skill, you know, he's playing in a much more difficult level than the USHL and the USNTDP circuit. I mean, and, and and there's a lot of potential with Topi Nimala that I think you can extract. Whereas with Clevin, I, I don't really see those raw tools that that you see in a guy like Nimala. Maybe that'll change over time the more he spends in college and you do have a few years to think about it. But again, at 44, I mean, looking at the guys that were on the board, like look at what Teddy Niederbach is doing in Sweden this year. I mean, it might be a bit biased because Clevin hasn't played yet, but I mean... The names that are on the board at at this pick that the Ottawa Senators could have had, I mean, Jan Mishak went at 48. Um, you know, the, the names that I'm looking at as well, like Ronnie Hirvonen was really highly ranked, Daniel Gustin, Jean-Luc Foudy, I really liked. But again, if you want if you wanted a defenseman, I might have looked more in the Brock Faber direction, and it'll be very interesting because those guys went back to back. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see Brock Faber with the LA Kings and Tyler Clevin maybe with the Ottawa Senators one day because... I don't know. I, I just don't know. I mean, if we're proved wrong on Tyler Clevin, I think that it would be a, a, a work of the development staff of the Ottawa Senators and, 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 and his college team. I'm just not holding my breath. And with Sokolov, yeah, I mean, I had him on my watch list. So if he was around later in the draft, maybe I would take a flyer on him. But, you know, double overage CHL players, I'm always a little bit hesitant on. Like, you know, Sokolov is a good player. He's got really good skill. He's huge. You know, he he can shoot it really, really hard, which is great. Uh, really good scorer. But you would expect that out of typical 20-year-olds in the QMJHL. You know, I mean, he's a guy who is one of these catch-and-release shooters. He's got some skills, so he can get inside pretty well. Um, but I, I wouldn't have looked at him so early in the draft. I mean... Maybe in the fourth or fifth round when things were getting a little murkier overall. Um, with Sokolov, I mean, maybe they're going to send him overseas for a year or two to sort of keep developing. But, you know, he's not going back to the QMJHL, I don't think. And I, I don't know what the trajectory is for him. If you get anything out of your 61st pick overall, then great. Uh, but I think there were better options at that pick. Maybe, maybe there's something, but but again... Not sure. He just seems like a big guy who can score in the QMJHL. And yeah, not not 100% sold on that being very projectable to the NHL, especially for someone so old. Yeah, I don't think you'll find too much disagreement amongst us. I, I think we found it a bit of a, a lackluster pick. And you know what? I hope that uh, Clevin proves us wrong, just like I hope any sense prospect that 
any of us doubt proves us wrong. <laughs> um, but uh, after that, the Senators uh, took a goalie who I know was a relative unknown to, to most people tracking the draft. Uh, and then they took uh, a few overagers, one of who is playing quite well, and that's Philippe Daou, uh, who has been playing uh, in the QMJHL. And he's looked quite good. Uh, he's 13 points in 13 games. I know he did have uh, one game where he had about like four assists. So um, <laughs> that's definitely something to know. But I mean, overall, uh, going from a guy who last season had only uh, 29 points in 58 games, he's already almost halfway there. Uh, and he's only 13 games into the season. So I guess, um, yeah, well, just thoughts generally. I mean, we don't have to go into much detail on, on any strand and Reinhardt. And uh, uh, I know you didn't do much tracking Marilyn. And so uh, we can talk uh, about Dao if you like, and, and then just maybe your quick thoughts on the, the other guys. Sure. I mean, Dao. yeah. I mean, he, what I see when I look at Philippe Dao is a November 2001 kid playing in the QMJHL. I mean, you mentioned it, kind of touched on it. I'm looking now, seven of his points, of his 13 points so far, came in two games. So you're looking at a player where in 11 games, he's got about a half a point per game pace. Um, so obviously that's a little bit tricky in terms of analysis, and it's still very early in the year. It's also very important to remember that this is a team that is playing only within their own division. They're, they're facing the same competition over and over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah. So... You know, I think this year is going to be weird in general. I mean, whenever I, I mean, I never had heard of Philippe Daou when they drafted him. I didn't see any tape on him. Um, you know, when I went and watched some tape after the draft before prepping for for my recaps, I mean, I found that he was like fine. He was a fine QMJHL player. But again, like he went 158. Can't be too picky about that kind of a pick. You, you know, you take who you like. There were a lot of players, I think, that were still available that even ended up going undrafted that I certainly would have been pushing for at 158. Um, but, you know, I'm just one guy. And and I think that if the entire staff thinks that there's something here with this guy, then sure. Uh, I don't know what exactly that would be. But, you know, again, you can't you can't be too picky about who goes at 158. Uh, the other guy, I mean, Levy Marilinen. You know, he backed up Joel Blomqvist, so I guess if scouts showed up on the wrong day and Joel Blomqvist wasn't playing, you got to look at Levy Marilinen. I mean, he's got good results. I mean, you know, he's he's stopping pucks. That's a good thing. Um, you know, if you get your goalie, then great. Uh, I the, the Ottawa Senators still are kind of searching for that number one guy. Maybe it's Matt Murray for now, but down the road, I mean, I don't know who that's going to be. And if it's Levy Marilinen, then then fantastic. I mean, you can't, you, you probably can't convince me that the backup in a finish under twenty league is is a more valuable or more likely draft pick than say Jeremy Poirier, who went one pick later, Ty Smolanish, Jean Luc Foodie, Daniel Gustin, even Samuel Knazko. But goalies have to be kind of evaluated a little differently. I mean, Nico Dawes was still on the board, and they took Levy Marilinen. So clearly, when they're looking for goalies. They value a player like that really, really strongly. Uh, Callie Klang was another goaltender who went off the board immediately after. So we'll see. I, you can't, I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to analyzing goaltenders. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of feel like I know a good one when I see one. And with Marilinen, I mean, you don't know. His track record, I don't think, is long enough. His resume is pretty short. But time will tell. I think, I think it was a little high, but... There's not much really that, yeah, again, at 71, if you get anything, great. Uh, I just felt that at 71 this year specifically, there were some really good players on the board. Um, 
other than that, for the Senators in general, I mean, Eric Engstrand is kind of interesting, I guess. I mean, he's he's a big dude who who plays big, tons and tons of scoring at the under-20 level last year. But, I mean, I've been spending some time sort of in 2021. It's funny, I'll, I'll, I'll notice players in the Swedish under-20 league who are catching my eye. And then I'll go and look at historical production rates for players that age. And even the highest scoring 20-year-olds in Sweden in the, in the under-20 level they, they don't usually work out when they're drafted at that age. You know, it, it just is so rare, uh, even when they're scoring like like Engstrand did. I mean, he's a big dude, and he fights real hard in front of the net. And there is some good skill that he shows, but he's a 19-year-old in the super elite league in Sweden, so you kind of expect that. I, I think that whenever he's been in the, in the SHL, I, mean, I think he's played like 20 games at this point and hasn't gotten a point. Um, and maybe he's just playing two minutes a night. But if you're looking at a guy who's going to be turning 21 next year and he's still struggling to earn minutes in the SHL, okay, I looked. He's played 20 games and has one goal. Um, so maybe there's something there that they think they can turn into maybe a fourth-line guy. But uh, I'm not really holding my breath. I, I think, again, you're, you're you're trying to, in my mind, you're kind of looking at do we think there are any 17-year-olds that are available when we're picking now that are going to be better than Eric Engstrand in two years, better than Eric Engstrand is now in two years? I think that was pretty apparent at 155. But again, if you like him, you like him. And if he's a fourth round, if he's a fourth line guy that you get in the fifth round that he can chip in on his entry-level contract here and there, then great. But I, I, I don't have tremendous expectations for Engstrand. But you're saying there's a chance. Of course, there's always a chance. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, we'll go to more like general questions. And I kind of want to know, sure. I know uh, like you actually just kind of left off at, um, you're saying that, you know, if there's a 17 year old who maybe is, is more of a project, more of a, a longer road to the NHL, but there's more room to groom that player into being more of an NHL impact player than take that chance. So I guess the Senators have been an organization that have actually struck gold on on a few uh, guys that were overagers. You know, Stone, Hoffman, no longer with the team, of course. Uh, Drake Batherson, who <laughs> looks like he, he'll be quite a good player. But um, the Senators seem to have kind of a, a luck sometimes with picking overagers. Now, it always ha- hasn't always worked out for them. But I guess, is it just sometimes with organizations, they just have a, a knack for picking these players? Like, is that maybe the case with the Senators? I mean, maybe. I mean, I think you kind of see, I think you kind of see what you have a better picture of what you're getting when you draft an older player, right? Like they're further along in their development. You kind of see a guy like Engstrand. I mean, look, when I look at Eric Engstrand, I see a potential NHL player with the way that he plays. Like he he's huge and he gets to the net and he's just a big dude. And there are jobs in the NHL for big hockey players with decent talent to just go to the net and cram in garbage, you know, or go out there and kill penalties or something. Like there are jobs for players like Eric Engstrand. So I guess the math for them is it's the fifth round. Most of these guys aren't going to work out, but if we get a a NHL player here, fine, great. Uh, I will also throw it back at you that Mark Stone was not an overage draft pick. Uh, He was draft eligible when they picked him. Um, So there's that. Um, But uh, you're right. Like the Ottawa Senators, they've got Drake Batherson for sure. Um, but they also, I believe, drafted Jay Drake Batherson before the current sort of zeitgeist was there. 
Um, you know, and I'm looking at 2019 where the same strategy was sort of employed later on, like Victor Lodin uh, and Mark Kastelik, who are two double overage guys that they picked. Lodin is a half a point per game in the Swedish second division, the same scoring rate uh, that he was last year. Um, I believe he also got busted for drugs, which is not great. Uh, and, oh, Mark yeah. Kastelik, <laughs> and, and Mark Kastelik is, is a guy who is producing at a, at a, in my view, sort of worse rate than a Yegor Sokolov or something. And he is much further along in his development as well. Um, you know, I, I just, I think that it's a lot of the draft in a lot of cases can be luck. And sometimes you just find guys. I think that the guys, like you said, Drake Batherson, he's a high skill, high octane guy. Like Connor Garland is another guy who was undrafted, I believe once, and then Phoenix saw a guy who scored 130 points in the QMJHL and just said, it's the fifth round, screw it, how bad could he be? Now he might be a guy that could score 30 goals here and there. Um, so with Drake Batherson, like there was a track record of scoring a lot of points with some pace to his game. And with Sokolov, he's scoring points, but it, whenever I watched Igor Sokolov, I watched Ryan Francis, for example, doing a lot of legwork on the ice. I really like Ryan Francis. And and then Ryan Francis or, or another player would get the puck to Sokolov, who would dangle some QMJHL defender who had no hope of stopping someone that big, and he would just <laughs> shoot it from the faceoff circle and score a goal, or set up Ryan Francis in front of the net or something. Like that's fine, and I think that's where a lot of his points are coming from. But again, with overage players, I think on a case by case basis, you can certainly look at look at them and 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 evaluate them there. Like I had double overage players in my rankings, like Benjamin Baumgartner, uh, Evgeny Oksentiuk was a one times undrafted player. Um, you know, I had those guys ranked, so it's not impossible. It's just you, and you definitely know about more about what you're getting. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of the part of the situation is case by case analysis, and the other part is kind of luck <laughs> I love that uh that that analogy um so I I did want to touch on your thoughts on the overall uh prospect pool that the senators have and I guess I can sort of tie it in uh in a beautiful knot with this point um since the senators picked Jake Sanderson uh, if you were in their shoes and barring, you know, none of uh, none of the guys or bar, barring what was on the on the table, considering the defensive prospects of, you know, Jake Bernard Docker, Eric Brandstrom and Lassie Thompson, would you have went uh, d- with a defenseman there? In the Sanderson slot? Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't have. I would have gone okay. like I go. I look at I mean. If I had the chance of landing both Marco Rossi and Tim Stutzla in the draft, you would need to really make a strong case for me to not want to do that. And if the if the case is Marco Rossi is too small, I have I I've my patience on that argument has completely worn thin at this point. Like yeah. he overcomes his size limitations wonderfully in my view. I think he's just one of the smarter players that was eligible in this year's draft, especially when it comes to working at both ends of the ice. Uh, I, I I really like Jake Sanderson for sure, but I mean, if you're looking for potentially your number one center and who might even, if you have a team that does not have a ton of, a ton of expectations like the Senators, I'd even be able to chip in this year, uh, especially yeah. on a team that does need kind of some centers. That would have been the guy that I would have really pushed for. And if it wasn't either of those, if it wasn't Marco Rossi, I mean, 
maybe it could have been Jake Sanderson, but like Cole Perfetti as well, yeah. right up there. Like, I just don't really know how you could convince me on that. I mean, and look at what Anton Lindell is doing yeah. in the Liga this year. <laughs> you know, I mean, look at what Rodion Amirov has even been able to do. Not that I would take Rodion Amirov at five, but. You know, these guys are moving along quickly, I think. You know, Alexander Holtz, to me, has looked much better in terms of projectable hockey in the SHL this season. And, you know, I mean, obviously it's hard to say because guys like Sanderson and Drysdale uh, and Perfetti and, and even Rossi haven't played yet this year. But I'm looking at the steps in their games that, that Lindell, Askarov, Holtz, uh, and and even Amirov have taken, and I just go. That's a lot of 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 room to to make up if you want to make Jake Sanderson a, a better NHL prospect today, uh, even this this quickly than these other guys who have just really taken off. I think. Um, and 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 again, I'm looking at the Ottawa Senators aspect depth chart here. I just don't think it's good enough, even after all the picks in 2020 that they have, like. Maybe you got something in Bernard Docker, but I don't know what he's going to... I don't think he's going to be a top pair guy or even a second pair guy. Johnny Taconic is in an NCAA transfer year, which to me is never a good sign. Um, you know, Shane Pinto might be a guy for the team for sure. He was much better than I expected him to be at North Dakota this year. Uh, but I mean, Alex Formanton might be a guy that you can use, but they had a chance, I thought, to add multiple, multiple high-ceiling, high-octane, high-offense pieces that are much more conducive to the NHL game as it is now. And I think they're looking for, like, they're looking for players that, once you get to the playoffs, they might be able to get away with more and shut down other teams. And maybe you just bang in a dirty goal here and there and just win games 2-1 or or 3-2 or 3-1 or whatever. But there's a lot of work that needs to go in in order to get into that, that playoff position. And right. it'll be interesting to see how the next few years go for the senators. It really will. I, I, I don't, I don't, I want them to be good. You know, like I, I don't, <laughs> I don't want NHL teams to be making mistakes and it's too easy and it's too early. I think to look at the Ottawa senators and bury their entire draft, you know, you never want to do that. And there is a lot of things that can change in the next five years, but you know, I mean, I'm of the belief that if you bring good players into your system that are already good now and expect them to improve, you know, you're you're probably going to, over time, end up in a better position. And I think the Ottawa Senators are trying to find a style of play that they think can win Stanley Cups and, and are really zeroing in on that rather than just sort of driving really, really good results. And maybe Jake Sanderson could be that for sure. But I felt there were other players that I thought could drive better results, at least when it comes to putting pucks in the net. Right. Yeah. And, and, and with that said, out of every prospect that Ottawa has, are there any that like really excite you or. Well, sure. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, Vitaly Abramov always has interested me. I mean, he's oh. a guy. One of, he's Tell one of me more guys. about Vitaly. <laughs> well, he's going to be, he's going to be, he always, to me, one of the, was one of these guys who, you know, needed to make some adjustments. He was, he's, you know, he is the perfect case of, to me, a good mid round pick, you know, where you sort of look at a really, really good hockey player and say, he might have some things to learn, but if he learns those lessons, he's going to be a great, great hockey player. And mm-hmm. he's what, 23 now. So the, the clock is ticking for sure. Um, and, in, and, and with Belleville last year, he was, 
I'd say good. I didn't see a tremendous amount of Belleville, but what I saw of him, you know, you can see the talent level he has. Um, you, you see it. And so I'm hopeful that, okay, so he's 22. He's going to turn 23 next year. Like, you know, if there's a chance that, that this time in Finland where he's scoring points and, and producing is going to sort of ignite another step in his game. And I think that could be a player that the Ottawa Senators could find useful. I mean, like we've been talking about a little bit, Drake Batherson is a guy who is, I hope, going to finally get a full-time job in the NHL and, and mm-hmm. be a, a producer. Um, you know, they do have some names that do get, get me kind of excited. Uh, you know, but again, like just looking at Lassie Thompson last year, that was a pick that was kind of out of left field. And people were hyping him up based on the early scoring that he had last year. They were hyping him up based on the world junior. Now he's had 14 games in the Liga and is scoring two points. And he's on the same team as Robbie Yarventy. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and, and there were questions about Lassie Thompson that a lot of people were bringing up, including myself, where at 19th overall, it just, I see what they're trying to get at, but you're leaving a lot on the board in pursuit of something else. And, and I just don't know if that's the strategy in the draft that I would go for. Like with guys like Clevin, is that a guy that you could get in free agency for a million dollars in, in every other season or every season? I, I think so. Um, so why are you drafting him at 44 with some high octane skill? You know, if Daniel Gushin mm-hmm. is ever scoring 50, 60 points in, in a San Jose Sharks uniform, while Tyler Clevin is trying to be a Belleville Senator that can drive results. You know, it's going to be a situation where you kind of look at it and go, yeah, this wasn't that this wasn't that hard to see that there was a difference in player here. Um, but I guess, again, I will tell we don't really know anything that's happening in the future just yet. But this is all, to me, this is a game of probability and the probability, I think, for the Ottawa Senators, based on what it could have been, just wasn't quite where it could have been. All right. Uh, thanks uh, thanks for that response, Will. And uh, that helps us transition to our last question. You're talking about teams making mis- possibly making mistakes. You're talking about things that you see that maybe, maybe you think their scouts didn't see. And I guess that leads us to a larger question of, you know, you've been doing your, you've been doing your do- YouTube videos and your Twitter and stuff for a while now. Um, do you see yourself doing this long term? Do you hope one day to parlay this into an actual career working in professional hockey doing analytical work is that what you want out of it or will this always just be you know a fun hobby and a fun way to you know maximize one of your personal interests for you yeah i don't i don't really try to write my book before it's written like i don't really know i what i do know is that this is something that i want to do um you know i i i i will admit that like i have spoken to people in the NHL, nobody, nobody like extremely, you know, like would blow your doors off, but like there are people, the word gets around and people talk and and you end up sort of chatting with people once in a while, you end up meeting people through people and, you know, it just kind of happens. But again, like if I never end up getting a job in the NHL, then like, I'm not complaining. I, I don't want to be a guy making YouTube videos for the rest of my life as a career, but I'm not also the kind of guy to like think about five, six years down the road and saying, if I'm still making YouTube videos, I'm going to have a panic attack every night. You know, it's, it's more (laughs) about, you know, it's more about like right now, this is what I'm comfortable doing. Like I'm still learning how to do it better. I think it's something that has kind of humbled me in terms of what I think I'm capable of myself and like how much work 
a lot of this kind of thing takes, or at least how much it should take. Um, you know, there's a lot of really smart people out there who who do do this kind of work. Um, and there are, you know, a lot of people who maybe shouldn't be doing this kind of work that are in positions that, you know, are in positions of power. I mean, it, it, that's kind of the case in any job, though. Um, I, I don't have any expectations, I guess, is the answer to your question. You know, it would be awesome to be able to do what I do and shut everything down and work for an NHL team and, and hopefully win a Stanley Cup someday. Like, that is on my bucket list for sure. But if that never pans out, I am extremely happy just doing this work and putting it out, chatting with people about it, watching hockey from around the world and and just enjoying as much hockey as I can. Like, there's nothing wrong with that to me. So, you know, again, anytime anyone sort of reaches out to me and and says that they like my work and that they want to learn more about what I do, like, it's it's a really bright thing for me. It's really, really great that I'm able to provide that for people. And I hope that what I provide is is you know, I don't come off as like standoffish or, or a jerk about what I do, but like, I enjoy it. And so if that somehow, you know, me continuously questioning myself and, and building on my work, if that turns into someone taking a chance on me and saying, look, maybe there's an analyst thing that he can do. Maybe there's a, a you know, lock him in an office like uh, Jonah Hill in, in Moneyball kind of situation. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. But right now I'm sitting in my basement. I have a nine to five job. Like it's, it's fine. Um, I'm happy at my job, but we'll see what happens. I mean, that's really the only outlook I can take because sometimes it's a matter of time. Sometimes it's a matter of luck. Sometimes it's a matter of your work needs more refinement and more work um, and, and tough conversations here and there. But, you know, I'm just kind of enjoying what I'm doing, I guess, is the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that totally makes sense, right? And it's it's great if you can turn a passion into something that's that's mm. even more than that. So uh, at this point, we want to let you uh, plug your stuff and um, and thank you for for joining us. Oh, it was a, it was a pleasure, my my friends. Uh, I I hope it added a little bit more context to the to the video I put out about the uh, senators draft because <laughs> oh boy, um, <laughs> don't worry, we uh, had our pitchforks ready going into this episode, but you know, <laughs> oh I know, I, I I know, I've 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 had. You know, I wouldn't be if I lived in Ottawa. I bet you there would be people at my door. Um, <laughs> but but uh, anyway, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scouching. Uh, same thing on YouTube. The YouTube channel's Scouching. Uh, a little quiet these days, but hopefully not for uh, not for too much longer. Um, the other stuff you can do if you really like what I do, uh, you can follow me on Patreon or subscribe there. There's a Discord server that's quite lively and rambunctious. Uh, you can uh, also get there's data sheets for for draft eligibles. There's demo versions of data sheets if you want to sort of dip your toe in. Uh, you get credits in the videos as well. So lots of good stuff you can check out on that site. Um, you can uh, also, I guess, follow me on on Instagram. I don't really use it so much. It's scouching underscore will. Uh, there's a Teespring shop if you want to buy some T-shirts. It's called Scouchware. Uh, it's all it's all fun. It's all good stuff. But really, Twitter and YouTube is where I'm most active, and that's sort of where you can get started. Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's 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 always good to to have some context uh, for any video you put out or, or what have you about the draft uh, for us and uh, for the people who watch and maybe have questions of their own. So we really appreciate you joining us. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your insight. Oh, no problem, guys. Anytime. Yeah, Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Will. Thanks, guys. So uh, same time next week. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, at least the next couple months, you know. Oh, okay. Gotta you keep hammering out these episodes. <laughs> yeah, just book, book me a Christmas and I'll be there. <laughs>